But it is my absolute humble honor to bring you God's word today. And so as we prepare to receive his word, why don't we pause again before our caring God. Lord God, we delight that you are present with us. As Allison prayed, as we sang, as we proclaimed, we know you are the one true God. And so we quiet ourselves before you again, eager and ready to be transformed by your word. May it be so in each and every one of us in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what does a typical Sunday look like for you? Start to think about it. Typical Sunday look like for you. Now, see if any of this sounds familiar. I want to try and capture what a Sunday may be like for you. And to think about what Sunday typically looks like, we actually have to begin on the day before because Sunday doesn't really begin Sunday. It actually begins Saturday night because if we are up really late or if we get to bed early or if we have young kids or if we had people over, it plays a factor into your Sunday morning, doesn't it? So imagine you stayed up a little bit too late the night before. So Sunday morning, you wake up groggy. And you come into the kitchen, and you find your spouse drank all the coffee already. And your spouse is mad at you because you overslept. And so you have this little tension between you, but you are rushed because church is a coming. And so you get ready, get ready, get ready. You hop in the car, and what happens? You get in a fight on the way to church. Anybody want to admit They got in a fight on the way to church today. I am happy to say, oh, (laughs) I saw that hand. (laughs) Okay, you get to church. Someone parks in your favorite spot. Happens. This is, this is church. We're going to have grace over all things, so no big deal. Uh, You come in, you experience worship, and you know, service was all, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty good, you know, Uh, but you didn't have time to eat, so you're really distracted actually the whole time. And you're trying to pay attention, you're trying to worship, but you're really hungry and you are eyeing that kid snack in the pew, you know, down from you. You know what kid I'm talking about right now. And then after service, you, you're, you're happy to chat with your friends, you're catching up, you have about five cookies until, you know, Matt cuts you off, says, you know, that's enough already. And uh, you're ready to leave, but your spouse is still talking. This happens sometimes, doesn't it? So you wait and you wait and you wait. You finally get home. You go to eat those leftovers you were thinking about instead of listening to the message. And the leftovers were already eaten the night before, again by that spouse. I do offer marital counseling. I'm not great at it, though, so uh, seek a professional. (laughs) I didn't mean for all this to be about spouse stuff. And Meg and I are good. Just, we're good, right? We're good. But, but... Instead of getting in a fight this time, you choose the passive-aggressive route. So you just don't talk to them, right? And the game is on. It's Sunday, so you sit down to enjoy the game. But you're watching the game, but you see that yard out the window. You haven't mowed yet. You haven't finished yet. And you're trying to watch the game, and you see that yard. Weekend's almost done. You said you'd do it, and you're watching the game. And all right, all right, finally, it seems your team's going to lose anyway. It's almost over. So you go out and mow, only to find out they had an amazing comeback victory. So now you're just mad that you missed it. And... You finally are getting near the end of the day, and you say, "This I got to do something. I'm going to end this cold war with my spouse that she has no idea is even going on." And you start to talk to them, except they're mad at you because you haven't talked to them all day. 
So what do you do? You kind of watch a show or two together in tension-filled silence. You decide to go to bed. You're exhausted, but you don't at all feel built up or anything. You don't feel ready for the week ahead, so you're kind of dreading work the next day. So you put off sleep. You pull out your phone. You're laying in bed, and you're scrolling, and you're starting to nod. You're scrolling. You're starting to nod. You're scrolling. You're starting to nod. The phone falls on your face. Anyone want to admit that's happened to them? Guilty. You wake up Monday feeling completely exhausted. And you're already looking ahead to the next weekend because you know it's going to bring you rest. Does any of this sound familiar? Now, it's a bit of a parody, right? It's a bit extreme, but I have a feeling each of us can find some thread of reality within that. There has to be, has to be a better way. And that's what we've been talking about in this summer series, Summer Break, where we are longing to find the rest that Jesus offers us, a true rest, a rest from the crazy, over-busy, over-distracted, over-stimulated way of the world to find the way of Jesus Christ. And today is our second part, focus on the Sabbath. If you did not have an opportunity to hear last week's message, I invite you to go back and listen to that message. You can find it wherever podcasts are on our website, too. There's instructions in your bulletin, uh, because that gave kind of a really deep overview on what the Sabbath is as laid out in the Old Testament. We talked about how it's woven into the fabric of creation. It's present in the creation account. We looked at the different uh, uh, records of the Ten Commandments and how it's, it's not to simply just stop doing things, to not work. It's also not to be lazy. It's actually to stop. It's to rest. It's to delight. It is to worship. And so today, we're turning our attention now to the New Testament. Let's see what Jesus has to say about this thing we don't think a lot about, the Sabbath. Is the Sabbath even something that we are, as modern-day Christians, even called to participate in or not? Let's find out together. We are going to begin in Matthew. We're starting with chapter 11, verse 28. It's the very end of chapter 11, and we'll continue on through the beginning of Matthew 12. And we begin with the ongoing theme that has been present in almost every single message throughout this series so far. It's Matthew eleven, twenty-eight to 30. And it is Jesus' invitation where he calls to us. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have been captivated by this invitation nearly every single week for the past seven weeks. But we always stop there, but not today. Because immediately following this invitation is not one, but two encounters between Jesus and the Pharisees all about the Sabbath. Coincidence? I think not. (laughs) Definitely not. The Sabbath is the most effective means that we have to accept Jesus' invitation. 
when we regularly engage with the Sabbath, then we are going to live our whole lives differently as we take up and experience the rest Jesus promises. So let's look at those accounts now. We'll look at them in two parts, starting with Matthew 12, 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. They began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, what your disciples, what they're doing is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, uh, how he entered the house of God. He ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means... I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So in those times, the farmers would leave the grain that were on the outskirts of their fields that were along the roads um, unharvested as a way for those with less means who were hungry, who were in need, to be able to come and pull that grain off and, and to have a little something to eat. It was a way to provide for those with less. The disciples eating here is not the issue. You don't stop eating on the Sabbath. The issue was that in order to eat that grain, they had to pluck it off. They had to kind of take the, 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 the stuff in their hands and kind of rub it in their hands to harvest it to get to the edible part and then to eat it. That is the issue that the Pharisees had, was that by harvesting the grain, it was considered an act of work. For the Pharisees. For the Pharisees, that's a no-no. The Pharisees called them out. I don't know what the Pharisees were doing at this time. I just picture them standing by the grain fields, just keeping an eye on Jesus and his pesky followers, right? Like, oh, there he is, right? Like, why are they there watching him? I don't know, but they call him out. Jesus is not having any of it, is he? They're not even breaking the Sabbath command after all. We looked in depth last week at the command of Sabbath. Last week, we are called to keep the Sabbath holy. The Sabbath, which includes stopping, includes resting, includes delighting, includes worshiping. But the Jewish leaders, in their attempt to help guard the Sabbath, they wrote all these additional rules and laws on top of God's. It was called the Mishnah, Mishnah, however you want to say that. These were not divinely inspired like the Word of God. These were not God-ordained. These were not God-approved. They were creations of humans, and it included 39 different categories of actions that were forbidden. They considered these things that fell into these categories work. So it equated to like hundreds of no-nos for the Sabbath. And it became quite, yeah, no-nos, Drake, that's right. You've heard that, right? Me too. We all have, not because I'm not singling you out. Every kid has heard that. It became quite burdensome for the people of God 
to experience the life-giving rest because of how oppressive these rules were. Now, does this sound a little familiar to some of you? Because I shared last week about how some of us grew up with the Sabbath kind of being full of can't-dos. You know what I'm talking about? All the things you can't do. You would have church in the morning, you have church in the evening, but the in-between was filled with the things you couldn't do. There wasn't a whole lot you could do besides hang out on the porch, twiddle your thumbs, right? It's a day meant to be set apart and ripe with meaning and significance. But it could instead, if we're not careful, feel more like a punishment. Sabbath was never meant to be oppressive. It was never meant to be full of can't-dos, but rather of get-tos, of the get-tos that mean the most. I have a day set aside where I get to do the very thing my soul craves. That's the gift of the Sabbath. Remember the command in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, you were slaves. Now you're free. Come out from under the weight of oppression and enter into my rest. That's the gift and the promise of Sabbath. So let's do a little checkpoint right here. Thinking of the Sabbath right here and now, do you view it as more restricting or freeing? Do you look at it more for all the things you can't do or the things that you get to do? Because while there are restrictions in a healthy practice of Sabbath, they free us to do the things that God created us for. And Jesus here, hears these Pharisees calling out the disciples, and he is having none of it. The whole, the whole example, the things that Jesus gives them all these examples, right? He is quizzing these Pharisees on this Old Testament knowledge, citing several instances in which God's people broke the code according to the Mishnah, but God did not punish them. He says, have you not read? They definitely have read. These are Pharisees. These are teachers of the law. They know these accounts. Jesus is is saying, have you not read? Come on, open your eyes. See what is present in God's word. Have you not read? And he gets to the end of it, and he cites the authority with which he speaks. The Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. We know what these Pharisees failed to ever see, that Jesus Christ is indeed God, the very creator of the Sabbath. And the Pharisees have deeply, deeply missed the point. Let's move on to the next account, following right after that one, picking up in verse 9. He went on from there, and he entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that, that's not just like, tell us so we can help people in that. No, no, because they might accuse him. They want to trap him. He said to them, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him on how to destroy him. And here again, we see the hardness of the Pharisees' hearts. For a man was healed before their very eyes, but instead of rejoicing in the face of the miraculous, they instead begin to plot the miracle maker's demise. The Pharisees were so concerned about religious rituals that they missed the entire purpose of Jesus. And yes, they missed the whole purpose of the Sabbath. Sabbath is not about blindly being burdened by the strict following of rules. The Sabbath for us, the Sabbath for Christians, is to draw our attention, our body, our thoughts, our minds, our our being on Christ so that we might delight in Him, worship Him, that we might remember Him and remember what He has done for us. We are recalibrated again to the way of Jesus. And we're reminded of his healing redemption every single time we enter into Sabbath rest. The Pharisees have profoundly misunderstood the purpose of the Sabbath. But we honestly cannot be all that hard on the Pharisees here because we have to look in the mirror and be honest that we also have likely profoundly misunderstood the Sabbath as well. Or if not misunderstood it, maybe simply lack understanding of it. So as you've been thinking about this, perhaps there's a question that continues to bubble up in your mind. It's a question I had when I started delving deeper into this whole thing of Sabbath. And so the question is this, isn't the Sabbath just a New Old Testament thing? Like, when Jesus came, didn't that mean we could stop that? Isn't that an old covenant thing? Jesus says, establishes his new covenant. This replaces that, right? Is it binding for us to follow in this call to practice the Sabbath or not? Let's talk about that for a couple minutes. There are two major arguments surrounding that question if Christians, modern-day Christians, on this side of the resurrection— are bound to practice the Sabbath. The majority opinion is that many scholars would say that, no, we're not bound to uh, observe the Sabbath in that way. It's part of the Torah in the Old Testament. It was part of Jewish tradition. There's no new command to observe the Sabbath in the New Testament anywhere. All other nine of the Ten Commandments are restated specifically to uphold elsewhere in the New Testament, but this one is not. And that the New Covenant calls us, yes, to worship God, to to gather together in corporate worship, but it doesn't explicitly command to uphold the Sabbath. That's the majority opinion. Many hold that. I belong in this camp to the minority opinion. And where I believe it is part of the Ten Commandments. We didn't strip one away after Jesus. You don't see that posted in church buildings, the Nine Commandments. You see the Ten Commandments. We don't throw out any of the others. Jesus practiced the Sabbath, not just because he came from the Jewish tradition and he he did fulfill those things, but while he was doing a new thing, he never once uh, uh, broke the Sabbath. 
In fact, he often used the Sabbath as a, a grounds for teaching people the way of Jesus. We know he broke the Mishnah, but not the actual command of Sabbath. And every week, for all of his days, every single week, he entered into this pattern of work and then rest, of a day set apart. What else? We just read that Jesus claims to be Lord of the Sabbath. I find that title very interesting. For one, it means he has authority over the Sabbath. So it is in his authority to say the Sabbath was good and it is no longer needed. But he never goes that far. He also isn't saying the Sabbath doesn't matter. He doesn't claim to be the conqueror of the Sabbath. We no longer need to rest, for I am here. He doesn't say that. It would be a strange thing for him to claim his lordship over something that he would then cast aside. He also never says anything to abdicate or to annul the Sabbath. So while it's not reiterated that we must practice this, it is also not, we're never told that we can throw it out. And we also know, as we talked about last week, it's the only commandment that is rooted in the creation account. It is built into the fabric of the universe. But here's the thing. Whether you agree with me and my, my blossoming belief of this minority opinion or not, it really doesn't matter. Because it's a pointless dis- the, the debate. It's, it's, it's part of the rhythm of creation, the need for rest. Just as gravity exists, the need to breathe exists, so does the need to rest. And regardless of if we are bound to it or not, it is a great gift offered to us from the treasure trove of God. It is a slice of heaven this side of eternity. So why in the world would we choose not to receive it. Don't you feel that longing in your soul every time you hear Jesus' invitation, every time we gather here and have a piece of that Sabbath rest, every time we sit down on our daily solitude and get a daily little glimpse of that rest, doesn't that longing in your soul just, just start to burst out of you? And in our deepening desire to choose the way of Jesus over the way of this world, the Sabbath is perhaps the most important weapon against the way of the world that we have. Can you think of anything more countercultural than intentionally choosing to stop and to delight and to worship, to disconnect? I can't. If Jesus Christ, who had the most important mission of all time, Hard as it is to admit, more important work than you and I have. And he believed it worthwhile to Sabbath, and I dare say I want to engage in that practice too. In our family, we've begun to formally engage in this process. I think this Jesus just might be onto something. And I say that with our first endeavors of this being excruciatingly difficult. You're going to hear more about that next week. And yet it has also been so good. One piece to help connect us all before we close. Between the two passages, those two accounts we've read today, in Mark's account of the same experience, there is one line that is not included in Matthew, but it is oh so potent. It is Mark 2, verse 27, where Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man, the Sabbath. 
In other words, the Sabbath that's made as a gift for mankind, not a burden. The original audience of Jesus, as he's speaking to the Pharisees and the crowds in the synagogue there, they needed to hear that man is not made for the Sabbath. They really needed that second half that he shared with them. The people had become weary and burdened by the heavy weight of observing the Sabbath, of following the letter of the law, the Mishnah, while missing God's intent behind the command. But we don't as much need to hear that second half. We are weary and burdened by not observing the Sabbath, by living in this world and go, go, going. We need to hear more that first half. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made as a gift for you. This whole series, we have honed in on how incredibly unhealthy the way of our world is and how our souls long to follow the Jesus way, the way that promises rest for our weary souls. And Sabbath encapsulates every single thing we have explored so far together in this series. In our call to slow down, it is present in our call to be present, to embrace the simple way, to stop and be still in the presence of God as we combat the hurried way of the world with the patient and purposeful pace of the Prince of Peace. Sabbath, also, we know, is not the end goal. It is a means to the end. Just like with all things in our faith walk, the goal isn't to say we Sabbath, it is to say I drew closer to God today. If he's not too good for the Sabbath, then neither are we. If God deemed it a worthy practice, then so should we. So what's stopping us? What's stopping us? I got four here, and there are endless more things. First one I thought of is it's, it's hard. It is a hard thing to do. It is going against the grain of the way of the world, you're going to feel some tension and you're going to feel some growing pains. But I remember Jesus' invitation. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. We're yoked to something. No matter what we go through, this life will be hard. Let's choose the hard that brings life and brings rest. Maybe it's just unknown. That's where I started. The Sabbath thing seems interesting, but I have no clue at all what that looks like in my day-to-day. I don't even know where to start. And I remember Jesus' invitation, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So we start by going and looking at Jesus. Or when we're really honest, I don't want to make sacrifices. I don't want to give up you know, a sport, or I don't want to give up a hobby, or I don't want to give up my phone. I don't want to make these sacrifices. And then I remember that God sent his very own son, and Jesus Christ paid the ultimate 
sacrifice and that what I think matters in this life is nothing when I put on my kingdom glasses and see things from God's perspective and I'm reminded of what really matters in this life. And that the things that I'm called to sacrifice are actually things that are going to rust and fade and die anyway. So why not focus in on the things that will last forever? And finally, where would I even start? That's our primary focus next week. I extended our focus on Sabbath for an extra week. I learned I have the power to do that. And so we'll have an additional week on Sabbath, which is looking specifically into how to. We're going to look in Isaiah on how to keep the Sabbath as a delight. And so if you are really longing, if you are hungry, or if you are eager, you have to join in as we continue this path in learning together. But for now, your practice as we prepare to go is to name everything stopping you from engaging. I primed the pump with a couple categories there, but you know specifically what is stopping you from engaging. And I promise you, this is just like any spiritual discipline. It will be hard. The things you put on that paper might be really even some good things in there. But we lay down the good for the right thing, which is an even better thing. And so start to name it and be ruthlessly honest. Name the resistance. And then on the same piece of paper, maybe on the other side, start to name all the things you would gain. What would you actually gain to begin to enter into Sabbath rest? And what you'll see is that it will require trust and surrender to Almighty God. And so begin that prayer. Begin that act of letting go. Begin that act of trust again. And then finally, I want to leave you with this thought. Sabbath rest is an invitation to practice for eternity. What we experience in Sabbath rest is a glimpse. It's a taste of what we were created to do forever and ever and ever in heaven in the forever presence of God Almighty. What we do on the Sabbath will then also help us thrive in our lives as we go about our holy calling he has placed on each of us to allow his kingdom to break through here and now. You remember how I started the message? with that experience of a Sunday morning that hit a little close to home, there is a better way. There is a better way. There's a much better way. And that way prepares us for what we get to experience, for what we were created to do for all of eternity. And Jesus says, come to me. Weary and burdened, come to me. His invitation has gone Will you accept? Let's pray. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord God, that is our prayer. Give us eyes to see where you lead us, to bask in the comfort of where you've placed us, to slow down and let go, to rest in your assuring promises and your presence, and to pick up our marching orders to again stand up and go out and serve you as we seek to love, live, and lead like you. As only your spirit can begin to do your transformative work in us, even now, God. You have invited us, and we long to accept. So help us do the hard work of letting go and then trusting you. Pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.